All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for you. Thank you again for the privilege to gather. And as we open your word now, Father, again, we recognize uh, the need for you through your Holy Spirit to not just uh, be the teacher, the counselor, but then to bring the application. Uh, Lord, you know uh, each person here. And Lord, you know uh, precisely what it is uh, we need to do in terms of being doers. You know exactly where we are with you, even as we sit here this morning. So, so Father, we love you. We look forward to uh, what you're going to do in our midst through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, as we're faithful to do that, we ask you um, to do what only you can do in changing hearts and speaking truth. So, so we love you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have been with us since uh, the beginning of the year, you know we have been... Focusing on, what does this represent? Fundamentals, right? The fundamentals. Turn to the person next to you and say fundamentals. How quickly you forget, right? Fundamentals. Raymond, I would probably do that, but I'd probably hit Brenda, so that would be not a good thing. Fundamentals, right? We've been talking about fundamentals of the faith, really fundamentals of grace. If we're going to be walking in grace, in God's supernatural enabling to be followers of Jesus in 2019, we need his grace. If we are going to walk in his grace, we got to start with the fundamentals, the fundamentals, right? Fundamentals in football. You got to learn the fundamentals. You got to get them down so well that they're second nature. Why? Because on the football field, things happen so fast and they're so violent and it's so unexpected that you don't have time to think sometimes. You just have to rely on having ingrained the fundamentals to get you through that exact moment, right? shared with you before stories of Kobe Bryant, other players who, they're up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., 500, 1,000 free throws, right? They go to Staples Center, get the guys to turn on the lights. What are they doing? Fundamentals. And you're like, why is Kobe Bryant doing that? He's good, isn't he? Well, Kobe Bryant is choosing... To practice the fundamentals in an empty Staples Center. Why? For the one shot that matters in the NBA Game 7. When the entire world is watching and the crowd's going crazy and all the emotion and everything that comes with that, the pressure. At that moment, it's the fundamentals. You turn off your brain, in a sense, and you let the fundamentals take over, right? Well, it's the same thing in our faith, right? It's the same thing in our faith. Vinny, this is coming your way. It's the same thing in our faith. It's fundamentals, because how many of you this week experienced life, unexpected, fast, <laughs> right? Whoopsie moments. You know, I call them corners. Sometimes in our life you're going this way and by golly, you hit a corner. And you, you thought this way, you woke up and you're going this way and you got to work and you hit a corner because the boss said, announce some changes. And you're like, boop. Right. And then you're going this way and something happens and you hit another corner. Right. Life happens fast, sometimes very unpleasant. Right. Sometimes you don't have time to react. You just don't see it coming. And in those moments, even in your walk, even as a follower of Jesus, it's your fundamentals that are going to keep you rooted and grounded. Right. How many of you have had um, ever had a, a, a an incident happen in your walk uh, where Something happened, someone said something, and uh, you said something you, you, you oughtn't to have. Anyone ever have something happen to you and you reacted in a way you probably shouldn't have in hindsight, right? Okay, we're perfect, we're in sanctification, but in those moments, I want you to think about that moment. What was it that, that really came out? It was a habitual way of reacting. Is a habitual word, right? Something happens, and you just go, Boom! Where did that come from? Habit, the old self, right? So in the sanctification process, as you put on, as you fill yourself with the word, as you pray, as you're involved in the church, our heart is to get the fundamentals so that when something happens in your life, wouldn't it be radical? How many of you would love when something happens, when you hit a corner, uh, even before you go to sleep today, how many would you love if you're going today the rest of the day and you hit a hard corner, how many would love to respond in a godly way? Right. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to try really hard later. 
to respond in a godly way when you do something to me, right? <laughs> right? Because usually it's the people closest to us that bear the brunt of our old self. You ever, isn't that interesting? How many of you, like, I don't know if it's just we're so familiar at home or you're with friends, but isn't it interesting how at home we're just so much more free to let it fly? And then we come to church and something happens and, by golly, let's just pray about that. You know God has a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Count it all joy. Right? And you're at home, you're like, what? How could you? Right? So fundamentals brings your faith really home. Where, where the rubber meets the road. Those closest to you. If you will spend the time and choose to exercise yourself in the fundamentals, by golly, your relationships in the closest areas of your life will change because you change. You're changing. You're being transformed, right? And so we spent this first quarter looking at the fundamental of fundamentals, which is the Word of God, the Bible, right? And we've, we've asked ourselves, well, if it's God's Word and it's so awesome and it's going to lead us and direct us down the path of happiness, makarios, blessing, why do we struggle with it? Right? How many here are doing the reading plan? How many of you have a wee bit of a struggle hanging in there? How many of you have honestly spent a few hours in catch-up mode at some time already? Thank you. I'm, I'm with you. I've had, to, I've had to like, oh, wow, really? Right? And so we, we ask ourselves, why? man, it's the Bible. It's God's Word. It's a supernatural book. Why don't I just want to get up and... Right? And it's a heart issue, and we've been looking at that. We've been like, what is, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? And, and we've seen in the Word, it's a heart issue, right? Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a heart issue. Everything in your life, how you handle your finances, what, how you speak, what you think, it's all heart issues, including your relationship with God and the Word of God, Right? James 1.22, we said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? First heart issue, we spent a lot of weeks, is you got you to gotta, kind of nail this. You got to drive this stake in the ground, right? That we're not just to be hearers, but doers, right? In fact, that verse says you're deluded. We're deluding ourselves if we think that just coming to church and hearing me speak at you and calling it good for the day or the week or the month or the year is enough. That verse says we're deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. Because really, biblically, what you hear today, biblically, there's supposed to be a response. Right? In fact, in the Old Testament, they say you haven't heard until you've done something with it. Okay? So for some of us, if you, if you just applied that principle, that fundamental principle, your life would radically change. You would come to church different. You would come to church different. I, I grew up, my mentor in ministry was uh, Pastor Miles McPherson, senior pastor at The Rock down in San Diego. And, and Miles, I, I don't know if he still does it, but uh, when I was coming up under him, he would tell his congregation, when you come to church, bring your Bible, a pen, and it's something to write with, a write on. And he'd go like, well, he goes, well, you bring the pen or pencil because you come and when you're listening to the Word of God, you are prepared not just to take notes, you are prepared to write down what God tells you to do with it. What would that do to your church experience? Even today, there's little pencils in the rows, or, except pens, right? We have pens, if you so desire, right? Take a note, you, now you have phones, you use your little note app, whatever you're going to do. What would radically change in your life, in your experience of church today, if you said, Lord... I believe you can speak to me today. It says it's living and active, sharper than it's living and active. The Holy Spirit's here, right? So, Lord, I believe you can speak to my heart, and um, I'm going to actually be prepared. And then I'm going to write it down. What would that do right now? Right now. If you say, I want to I grow in godliness, how many of you want to be godly? Okay. There's a pen, and there's a pull out your phone. Ask God to speak directly to your heart every time you come to church, every time you go to women's Bible study, every time you go to men's Bible study, every time you go to Tuesday night, every time you have coffee with another believer and you talk about the word. Ask God to speak to your heart and write it down and do it. 
your, your walk with Jesus will radically be transformed. You, you'll get lit. You'll be like, this is awesome. God's talking to me through his word. I read this verse. I, never, I said I read this verse 10,000 times. He, and in the light of my circumstances, this is how I'm supposed to go deal with that person. This is how I'm supposed to uh, deal with my finances. This is how I'm supposed to. This how, and, and suddenly, you're living in the moment and you're walking with Jesus. See, that, that is a whole different model of church than coming and listening to me passively like you're in school and you're sitting in rows and you're not supposed to talk. And then when we're done, the lecture's over and you go about, go have donuts and coffee and leave. Thank you very much. See you next Sunday. That's not what we're about. That is not what following Jesus is about, right? It's about getting in the mix. It's about listening and doing, right? What did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He wants relationship with us. And part of the relationship with him is listening, doing something to remember it, and then just do it. As imperfectly as you may, just do it and see what happens. You're going to get so excited, so, I believe, enthused, because you're going to start owning your own faith. It becomes personal. You don't, you're not dependent on me. You're, not the, you're just listening to God now through his word and submitted to his word. So it's being a doer, James 1.25. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed or happy in his doing. When we spent the last month looking at the connection between obedience, being a doer, and happiness or joy. Joy, right? That is a, pr- that is a truth. That is a command in there, all in there. It says, he will be blessed or happy, makarios, in his or her doing as you obey, as you walk in obedience. That verse says you will experience makarios, joy, happiness. We spent a lot of time on that word, right? But fundamentally, right, it says, being no hearer who forgets but a doer, who acts, remember, this is very important. There's a big difference between being a doer and just doing it. A doer is a heart issue. A doer says, yes, Lord, here's my heart. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm a, I choose to follow you as a doer. Not just, yeah, I'm going to do it. See, a lot of us view Christianity as just a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. So we're just going to do it. You know, coming to church for some is just doing it. No. What he's talking about is, is a doer, as, as my life as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be experienced makarios, blessing, right? Right? Not just being a do-itter, but a doer, right? Jesus himself says in Luke 11, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed, happy is the mother who gave you birth and nursed, and nursed you. He replied, no, blessed, happy rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Psalm 119. Blessed or happy are those whose way is blameless, whose walk, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed or happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Right? So we talked about happiness. Happiness is not like giddiness, like woohoo all the time. We're talking about a state or a condition of deep joy and contentment. It's what they call spiritual prosperity, that you can thrive despite your circumstances. In the midst of trials and everything, you can be experiencing blessing. That's what that word is. You can be thriving spiritually, right? But how do you do that? It's a choice. Right? Well, if if you've been with us the last month, what you've really seen is that if you want to experience God's blessing, makarios, and it's linked to doing, it comes down to your choice. My choice and your choice. Every day, 24-7. It's just choice. It's just as simple as making choices. Right? Some choices that we've seen to make, some uh, that we've seen we need to make. Psalm 1611. You make known to be the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures more. Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. What was one of the choices that we saw a few weeks back? Right? I gave you this picture of, of people climbing.
Bill was trying to get caught up on the Bible reading plan. And he couldn't turn off the, the guy reading the verses up front. And if you don't know what just happened, sheer panic. I'm like, yes, Lord, you're speaking. Oh, no, it's Bill's phone. <laughs> How do you turn this off? I thought you were going to throw it out the door for a second there. <laughs> no, I feel more for you than me. I'm good. You, you should, you're like, you're like, I want to get away, right? So first choice, first choice, right? Uh, Makarios, Escher, walking in spiritual prosperity, thriving has to do with the choice we make to, and we, we strung this rope here, to clip into the word of God. To choose to be led by God through his word and spirit. And sometimes we talked about how this idea of being led kind of touches this pride in us and this independence and this rebellion in us. Oh, I'm being led. I don't need to be led. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. Who needs to be led? We talked about that. And at the end of this particular uh, Sunday, we said, you know what? We have to make a choice. Choose to trust God on his path. Being led is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Look at them. I think they're happy to be clipped into the rope. I genuinely think they have a goal and they are willingly clipped into the rope. They get it. It's necessary and it's vital to achieve the goal. So the choice, first choice we saw several weeks ago, are you willing to be led? Are you willing to clip into the rope of the word of God and be led? Right? Psalm 1, 1 through 3 said, Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his line meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we saw this, right? Another choice we have to make, this person who's prospering, who's experiencing Makarios Escher, blessing, is making choices. He or she has made a choice not to associate with harmful, negative people and circumstances that are going to pull him or her away from God, Right? And then he's choosing in verse 2, says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, law he, on his law he meditates day and night. Right? So there's some negative choices or putting off. And then there's some positive choices, putting in. Right? And if you were here the last two weeks, I'm just going to, this is the last time probably you see this. We talked about this, right? There's a slide. We'll put it up for those in the back. Right? And we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. If this red dye is kind of like the stuff of the world, and d- during the week you and I, Whatever you watch, whatever you listen to, whatever you're reading, who you're hanging out with, right? It affects us. It's like our heart. This is what happens, right? Not only that, though, not only is the external coming at you, the blue is our own stuff. How many got your own stuff? Your own heart, right? The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? I mean, it's our own stuff, our own sinful, fleshly, self-centered stuff, false beliefs. And it all accumulates as well. So this is what's happening from external and internal things that are going to eventually color and harden our heart, potentially to God and to others, right? And so the last couple of weeks we talked about what is he talking about and what do we talk about in the Word of God? Why do you pray? Why do you get plugged into church and have fellowship? Because you're getting filled up. And the way that God cleanses our hearts is from the inside out. Right? And so the more we pray... The more we're in the, the Bible daily, the more we're in fellowship, seeking prayer and counsel, it cleans our heart. This is what we're about. This is even why we're here today, quite honestly. How many of you had a rough week? Right? That's what, you should be coming here because you're like, Lord, I, I need you to clean my heart out. So it's a daily thing because when you leave here, guess what? Guess what's waiting for you? Right there. That's why I've kind of had fun, right? If you're going to go this and you think that just coming here once a week is going to do it, boop, Sunday. That's what happens. And you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's just the external. Me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All right, time to go to church. Boop. Do you see This is what we're talking about, why he says on his law, he meditates day and night. Why do you think the Bible says pray without ceasing? Why does the Bible say don't forsake the gathering? It's daily. It's continual. 
because we're bombarded daily and continually with stuff. This is what we're about here. But to do this, to pour in, honestly, it's a choice. It's a choice. But the reason I kind of do this, A, because this is how I learn. I'm, I'm much more of a tactile visual learner, so hopefully it clicks with you. But I get that. Because when I was a Christian, people used to say, oh, you should read, you should pray, you should whatever, go to men's group. And I thought it was all this add-on stuff. Because that's what good Christians do. We're just supposed to get busy with God's stuff. I never connected that doing all that stuff was about cleaning me from the inside out. And then when I started to connect it, you know what happened? It went up on my priority list. It went up on what I value. It went up on why I'm willing to get in the car and drive or meet with someone. Because I got that what was happening was heart stuff in me. That it was about God wanting to work in through. But it was a choice I had to make, right? So we talked about that. Matthew 7, last week, we said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like foolish men who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So last week, what do we focus on? Two builders. Two builders building a house. Apparently these houses are very similar. Couldn't really tell any difference externally looking at the houses, right? Fundamental difference was the foundation. One was rock, one was sand. Fundamental difference of why rock versus sand was what? Obedience. One heard and did, that was rock. One heard, mm, didn't do anything, was sand. And here's really what happened in the story. Outwardly, you could drive by and go, oh, no, look at those, those houses. They both look really well built. They look really solid. Nothing really different. The thing that revealed the foundation was what? The storm. The flood. Seen a lot of times in our life, outwardly, most of us in here, you, you know, most all we all look nice, things are good, right? It's when the storms in our life come that the foundation in our life, in your life, in my life, is really revealed, right? And I shared uh, this famous picture, La Jument Lighthouse, off the coast northwest of France, right? Very famous photo of a light keeper in the midst of a storm, 20 to 30 meter waves, helicopter came by, lighthouse keeper heard it, wanted to take a peek, didn't know what was about to smash him, got back in and closed the iron doors just as the wave engulfed that lighthouse, right? Very famous photo, and I think, you know, I wonder how he feels. I wonder how at peace he is in the midst of these waves, 60, 90 foot waves slamming into this lighthouse and if he's pretty confident in his foundation and how his house has been built he's at peace in there he's at peace in there right because it's built on the rock and we saw last sunday that that was not built in the storm la jument is built on a rock called la jument but it was built in calm and low tide preparing it for what the storms. But see, this is the choice we make because when things are calm, we, we sometimes put this down. When things are good and calm in our life, then we stop reading, then we stop coming to church, then we stop praying. Why? Because we're good. Everything's good, right? And then things that were a priority are not so much a priority. And we don't really need to be pouring in. But this reminds me that, you know what? The lighthouse was built for storms and it was built when it was calm and low tide but that's a choice we have to make right that's what what bill likes to call that's that's the daily discipline that's the discipline even when things are good even when things are calm and you got the finances and you got the good health and no middle relational issues it's at that point that you should say i really need to be focusing on the fundamentals right now because I might hit a corner. I have no idea what's going to happen before I put my head down on my pillow tonight. Right? Right? But it's a choice. 
And then we closed last week with talking about the foundation, kind of off that. And, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the foundation. Acts 4.11. This is Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so a cornerstone, right? It's it's really an integral part of any structure, right? It supports the building and then the walls are lined up. it, It lines up the walls and it supports. And so we asked the question as we closed last Sunday, what's your cornerstone? What are you building your life on? So your 401k, your career, your health, your friends. Is Jesus the cornerstone? And are you aligning the walls of your life with him? Right? That, that, that's a real foundational issue, real fundamental issue. Upon what, as you sit here this morning, would you say you are building your house? What is the cornerstone of your life right now? And it, it, it's... It's a really good question to ask because it's fundamental. It's fundamental to how you're going to deal with something that might happen later today, right? But it's a choice. It's a choice. And so we've gone through this in the last several weeks. And I thought, Lord, how can we even make greater application to the fundamentals? How can we make greater application to all the choices? Because really the theme for the first quarter has been choosing. Choice. God says, here's blessing. It's linked to doing. Now choose. Now just simply choose. In the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to walk in obedience. And so I thought, you know, maybe, maybe what God would use today uh, would be a fellow sojourner. Someone who's just walking with Jesus and would be willing to share his story as a word of encouragement, as a word of truth. And, and even uh, as a way for you to get to know him. So I asked Mark Bodycomb if he would share his story this morning. Mark is one of the elders here at the church. I've known Mark and his family 15 plus years, 15, almost 20 years now. Um, I know his kids and uh, Kathy, now the women's lead here at the church. Just an incredible. Uh, I've enjoyed years and years with him, the highs and the lows. In fact, I still have a T-shirt of our first Ensenada when we brought the youth down with your boy Ryan from 2003. Still have that t-shirt. Built a house in Ensenada. So I've known this, this man. Uh, he, they went away to Virginia for several years, came back a few years back, and, and God led them here, and, and they're serving. Um, but beyond what they do here at the church, uh, I, wonder, I, I know Mark's journey. And uh, as I was thinking about Makarios being blessed in doing uh, I really couldn't think of, of someone else I'd rather have up here this morning to share um, truth and to share uh, the power, the power of God's grace in a person's life. And so as you listen to him, be encouraged that what you're about to hear isn't just, oh, he's special. No. The grace of God, the power of God uh, is available to everyone here. And if you're listening at home or online, it's available to you too as well. So uh, Mark, come on up and uh, if you would share your story with us. So, good morning. Um, yeah, so this is my story. Um, it's not really my testimony, how I came to know Jesus. It's really um, after I came to know Jesus, what has my journey been like? Um, and I want to just start with a couple of verses. Um, one is in Romans 7, and it says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the second verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 
But he, the Lord, said to me, he's talking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I could actually stop right now. um, Because really what these two verses is talking about is that um, the first one in Romans is, I'm a mess. And that's true. I I am a mess. As a man, as a human being, I'm a mess. And the second one in, in 2 Corinthians is the grace of God is sufficient for men like me who are a mess. And really, that is essentially my story. I'm a mess. God's grace is sufficient. So I could just kind of sit down now. But I do want to tell you a little bit more about uh, the details of my story. Um, interestingly enough, just last weekend, uh, I was in Florida with a really good friend of mine for a weekend men's conference, about 550 guys gathering together for teaching and fellowship. And the theme of the entire weekend was, what is your story? That was actually the theme of the weekend. And really, it was uh, very pertinent for me to uh, be here today. Um, we all have stories. Every single one of you has a story that is building in your life. And those stories really are helpful to us in, in two ways. They can really help us understand what things in our lives hinder or block our pursuit and our journey with Jesus. And understanding our stories can help us see those things. They can also help us understand the ways and the choices that we can make in our lives to enhance and to support and to um, bring us more success in our pursuit of Christ and letting him work in and transform our lives. So I'd like to just share some of the bigger moments, the bigger events that have taken place through the course of my life and my story. Um, It really did start um, in a very nominal Episcopalian home that I grew up in. Um, I chose kind of in my teenage years things that an unsaved teenager typically chooses uh, to just indulge myself in to try to find happiness, um, which I did not. Um, And in fact, uh, during that whole period of time, I, in addition to kind of really uh, diving into the world in whatever way I could, I was also seeking. I was dissatisfied. I was really hungry in my heart for something that I did not have. And it was mercy and grace in those years that led me to Jesus. Um, After I, uh, well, after uh, that period of time, kind of in my sophomore year of, of college, I spent nine years in the Central Valley of uh, California. Huh? What? Nine months. What did I say? Nine years? Sorry, nine months. <laughs> nine years. No, even the, thank you, honey. Even the nine months. <laughs> I, Kathy took issue with what I wrote down here. I wrote this was purgatory for me. Nine months in the Central Valley of California. I'm either in the mountains or at the ocean. You know, that's kind of where I want to live my life. The Central Valley is not where I want to be. So. In nine years, I would have shot myself. Uh, <laughs> I survived nine months. But during those nine months, honestly, and the Lord orchestrated, even as a non-believer, he orchestrated those nine months in my life. Because in those nine months, I both met Jesus and I met my wife. And so the two biggest things in my life took place in nine months in the Central Valley of California. Um, after that, though, we moved to Santa Barbara, which was a little bit more uh, kind of my style. But um, during, uh, we entered into, Kathy and I did, into uh, a great number of years, about eight or nine years, in living really with a radically committed group of Christians, of believers who were really seeking as a group to um, live the first church experience, to live simply, to live in a radically committed way to Jesus. Um, we lived communally for many of the years that we were together. Um, we prayed a lot. We met four or five times a week. We preached the gospel. We loved Jesus with all of our hearts. Um, those years that uh, we spent together, Kathy and I, in that group really uh, laid a tremendous foundation for me. I learned in those years how to love Jesus and who Jesus was in my life. I laid a, a foundation that has never left me of who God is and who I was. 
the power, the majesty, the glory of God as expressed in Jesus Christ is something that I was just immersed in. Um, that, that, that Jesus was given to me in his entirety through the Holy Spirit. And the experience of the church, of men and women committing everything that they had to pursue and to love Jesus with abandon. I also learned the powerlessness of man, that I really am nothing without Jesus in my life. Uh, there was a verse that back in that day really, I think, kind of summed up what, or a couple of verses that really summed up kind of my experience with Christ at the time. It's in Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. It says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. I learned in those years that I didn't need anything but Jesus. Um, every desire, every longing, every issue that I might have in my life ultimately was addressed in knowing Christ in my life. I also learned that my flesh wages constant war against my spirit, that that is also true, that Jesus is all I need and my flesh does not like that message. In some ways, those were honestly the best years of my life, really established just a, a deep love and foundation in my faith with Christ. But they were also very stressful years. Um, I was a zealot. Um, in this environment. I was kind of like Bill Burr. Somebody who, when he sets his mind to doing something, does nothing but whatever that is that he's doing. And that's really how I lived my life for years in this uh, communal situation that Kathy and I were living in. Kathy's experience was a little bit different than mine. Um, and over the years that we were together in this group, she expressed concerns and needs that, honestly, I did not do a good job in listening to. Um, this resulted towards the end of the 70s as we got into the early 80s. Um, honestly, some really serious problems uh, between Kathy and I in our relationship and a real crisis in our lives, um, both individually and relationally. Um, during the 70s, I learned to love Jesus with all of my heart. But I really struggled to understand and to come to grips with the depth of my personal sin. Well, this valley that Kathy and I um, kind of unwillingly and unwittingly found ourselves in in the early 80s was a period of time in my life when I, the Lord himself, confronted me face to face with my sin, with the depth of the hurt that I had caused my wife because of choices that I had made in the years before. Choices that I thought was pure and to love Jesus, but I, in doing so, had just made choices that also really uh, uh, deeply hurt Kathy. And it was really only the grace of God that got she and I through those years, those, that valley, um, we made it through that time, Kathy and I, by participating and embracing some really penetrating Christian therapy and counseling. We needed that. We needed to learn new skills for our lives, for our relationship. We found godly counsel from mentors and from friends of ours that really helped us during that time. And frankly, just the core love and support of family and friends. Those are the things that got us through those few years. But both Kathy and I, having gotten to that point, had to choose to change. We had to both repent. We had to both learn and exercise forgiveness. We had to both learn how to trust God for things that we were incapable of doing in our own strength. I have also just struggled with my thought life since I was a teenager. Kind of a lifelong struggle for me. I have done many things through the course of my life to address these issues in my life. I've been transparent with Kathy, with friends. I have read books. I've been in groups. I have confessed. I have repented. I've explored, to the best of my ability, my own heart 
and my own mind's faulty beliefs that have led me to um, in, in that area. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, has been always faithful to me in this area of life. I have come a long way in changing in my life, in my thought life. But it remains to this day an area that I have to be in constant vigilance. I have to constantly, day by day, choose to submit my mind and submit my heart to the Lord because there is no other way for me to be free. Um, I have in my, in my uh, office, on my desk, a verse of Scripture that is there very intentionally. And I look at it many times a day. And it's Galatians 5, 24 to 25. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step for this, with the Spirit. The truth that I take from those scriptures is that I do belong to Jesus. I, Mark Bodycombe, am a possession and belong to Jesus Christ. He has crucified my flesh. I am free in Christ. And I do live by His Spirit. Those are truths that He has promised to me. Much of my work career was with the Postal Service. All the time that we lived in Santa Barbara and here in Ojai, I worked at the post office, both in Santa Barbara and then out in Santa Clarita. God was really um, very present in and orchestrated my work career, something I have always been very aware of and very thankful for. But during the years, uh, all those years, um, I had many opportunities to um, pursue advancement, to get promoted, to do you know things kind of just guys might want to do or women might want to do in the course of our work and getting ahead. But each time it always meant having to do something I didn't want to do, which was often move or do something that would impact my family. And so we made a choice. I made a personal choice, and Kathy certainly agreed with it. When we moved to Ojai, our kids were young at that time, that I was going to, frankly, just forego any opportunity to kind of advance. I kind of would have wanted to, that kind of thing, but I didn't, it wasn't right for my family. It wasn't what they needed. We wanted to be here and stay here till my kids had grown and, uh, and get out of school. So again, just a choice that I made for many, many years, in a sense, almost at my own sacrifice to put my family above my work. I've learned and I've had to choose over and over again to allow the Lord to break my heart and to break my will. Kathy and I, after that valley that we had gone through in the early 80s, um, we, had, we chose to choose to use our pain, to use this past sin of our lives to help others. We spent years in conducting merit, premarital counseling and doing marriage retreats and seminars to take the things that we had experienced, the mistakes that we had made, and to choose to be vulnerable with our lives, with others, to hopefully help them avoid some of the mistakes that we had made. I chose by God's grace to confess, to repent, and be restored when I would sin against someone else. In leadership, which I have been in in many different places, in missions, um, in worship, um, I have learned and need had to learn to choose to submit myself to God's sovereignty to put away childish things, to allow my mind and my heart to be transformed, to walk in the Spirit, to be humbled by those around me, to love and serve others instead of myself. Um, this has only come by my growing in my understanding and experience of who I am in Christ, that I am a new creature, that He alone is my life, that I can do nothing apart from Him. And choosing this over and over again, His will over my own. My journey, my story is fraught with countless failures, mistakes over and over again. But God won't let go of me. He won't let me go. And He has given me the grace to choose Him again and again and again, despite of my failures. Kathy and I have had a number of uh, deeply challenging and uh, difficult times with our adult children. 
choices that they have made. Um, Kathy and I have wept. We have been on our knees. We have ached with confusion. We honestly, I'll speak for myself, have even lost hope at times. Um, I've always found music to bring me joy, to meet me where I'm at when I go through highs and lows in life. And both the lyrics and the music have often been very, very meaningful to me at, at many, many stages in my life. And there was one song during kind of this, this part of my journey that uh, I listened to a lot. Um, it was by the Newsboys, and it's called When the Tears Fall. I just want to read you some of the lyrics from that song. I've had questions without answers. I've known sorrow and I've known pain. But there's one thing that I will cling to. You, Jesus, are faithful. Jesus, you're true. When hope is lost, I will call you Savior. When pain surrounds I will call you healer. When the silence falls, you'll be the song within my heart. In the lone hour of my sorrow, through the darkest night of my soul, you, Jesus, surround me and you sustain me, my defender forevermore. When hope is lost, I'll call you Savior. When pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. When silence falls, you will be the song in my heart. And I will praise you. I will praise you. When the tears fall, I will sing to you. And I will praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Through the suffering still, I will sing. Because when hope is lost, I will call you my Savior. When the pain surrounds, you are my healer. And when the silence falls, you are the song in my heart. Um, During this time for Kathy and I, uh, much like we did at other times in our lives, we sought out good Christian counsel. We were surrounded by the counsel and love of close friends We prayed a lot. Um, We chose to love unconditionally, um, and that was not easy to do, but that was a choice that we needed, wanted to, and did make. To love our kids in the same way that Jesus loved us throughout our lives. The path for us was one day at a time, one step at a time. And sometimes one choice at a time. We have seen miracles in our kids' lives. We have seen answered prayers, restored hearts, forgiveness, and healed relationships. And it has only been the grace of God that has seen us through these times. He and He alone deserves the thanks and the praise. If I have any life verse, I don't know how about you, I guess when I was a young Christian, somehow I got this thought or somebody told me, do you have a life verse, you know, and I, well, I don't know, but if I have one, this is it. Uh, It's in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Along with all the other sin and failures that I have struggled with in my life, at the center, at the core of who I am as a human being, as a man, has always been pride, selfishness, and control. That's just bedrock. That struggle, as articulated by Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, it is that struggle that led me to Jesus. It was that disconnect between who I wanted to be and who I actually was before I was a believer that brought me to Jesus. I wanted to love. I wanted to put others first, but I was just living life looking out for number one, which was me. Um, Transforming my heart 
and life in this area has really been nothing short of monumental. It's involved me learning and believing and experiencing that it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, that I am a new creature in Him, that apart from Him, I can't do anything, that the Son has completely set me free from my sin, from this world, that He has given me everything, absolutely everything that I need to live a godly life, that I have the fullness of God in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and that I can do all things through Him that strengthens me. I've shared some of the big events, the big choices that I have been able to make through the course of my life. But honestly, there are many, many, many daily small choices that are just as important because many, many small choices add up to big choices. Choosing every morning to spend time with Jesus, to orient my heart and my mind to Him. Just making that choice on a daily basis. And I have to choose to get up every morning and make that my priority. Choosing not to gossip, not to share things with people that I know. Choosing to reach out and hold my wife's hand or give her a kiss. Even if I don't feel like it. (laughs) Because she feels loved and valued when I do that. Choosing to give when I'm feeling selfish. Choosing to listen when I'd rather give my opinion about something. Choosing to extend grace when I'm feeling judgmental and intolerant. Choosing to live, to lovingly be honest when I'd really rather not risk someone not liking what I have to say. Choosing to avert my eyes when a pretty woman goes by. Choosing to pray whenever and wherever the Lord tells me to. Choosing to give my heart to the Lord when I feel proud about something I have done. Choosing to turn to Jesus when I feel insecure, when I feel inadequate, when I feel afraid. Those are just a few of the just hundreds of choices that I find myself having to make day after day after day for 45 years that I've known Jesus, day after day after day, making those small choices that build a foundation and build into big choices. So I want to start with the same place that I began. I am a sinful man. I completely relate to the Romans 7 cry out of Paul's heart. Oh, wretched man that I am. But I am also a child of God. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am complete in Jesus. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. He has taught me, and I am convinced, that His grace, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians, is sufficient for me. He is all I need. When I am weak, He is strong. That's my story, and I hope and I pray that just telling my story can help you with yours. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Close with John 15, verses 10 and 11. I thought of these verses... Okay, we're going to go to 15, 10, and 11. Because he talked about choices. And sometimes we think that choices are just some mechanical thing that we're supposed to do just because or because, you know, we don't want to make God angry or that's what a good Christian does or doesn't do, you know. But really, if you look at these verses, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide, remain, continue in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I hope what you've heard, and, and as we summarize this theme of choices and blessings and doing and obedience and makarios, that at the heart of it is love. That what we choose to do is because we love Jesus. It's a love relationship. That's the basis of our choice. He says, if you keep my commands, if you choose obedience, you will abide in my what? Love. It's love. Right? Just as I have, and he role models it, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus' choice to obey his Father's commandments was a love issue between him and his Father. And he says, just do this. Choose obedience out of love for me and we'll have a love relationship. A love relationship. That's kind of the core of this whole thing. It's not, oh, I'm going to be blessed in doing so. I'm going to do so I get something out of it. I get something out of it. No. If you're going to be doing the word of God just for what you get out of it, you kind of already missed the point. The point of obedience is love. And here's the crazy thing. It's because he first loved you. God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when, when we were at our worst and we wanted nothing to do with him and the world was surrounded, I'm in the center and the universe is supposed to do this for me. He first loved you. And it's in response to his first love, right there, that daily I make my choices to love him through obedience. The, the, the choice to obey is a choice to love. That's what it just kind of boils down to. And if you're struggling with that, you got to start back at the cross. You got to be humbled. You got to be knocked on your face by this incredible love for you that while you were yet a sinner, while you were an enemy, while you were hard hearted, while you were living for yourself, he went to the cross for you. So sometimes I think that people struggle with this idea that that obedience is rooted in love because you never got knocked on your face by God's first love at the cross. I got to be honest with you. If you will take the time to understand what that cross means as far as God demonstrating to his love to you personally, 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 and let the love of God wash over you and knock you off your feet, you're probably not going to have so much struggle choosing to love him daily. <laughs> Seriously, I don't, I don't know. I, it, that's just kind of how it works. You fall on your face because of the grace of God, just absolutely blowing your socks off whether you've been in church one day or you think you grew up in church and you kind of know it and you're kind of a church kid church whatever whatever you know what get on your face before god go to the cross let his grace and love blow your socks off and see what that does in your heart about wanting to love him back (laughs) now you understand why we say it's a want to not a have to see when I get the cross, why wouldn't I want to obey him? <laughs> Disobedience becomes crazy at that point. Why wouldn't I? He demonstrates his love for me while I was yet a sinner. And we tend to, it's weird how we minimize our sin and maximize other people's. No, maximize your sin for a sec. And over your sin comes his grace and his love. And then ask yourself, why would I even want to hurt him through disobedience? What? Right? And we know we have this sin nature and it's going to be a, a grace of God thing. But some of us in the church, when we talk about blessing and doing, it starts way back at the cross. Way back at the cross. If you want to make godly choices to obey, you got to come back and choose to receive his grace and to receive his love. And let that just completely overwhelm you. And that will somehow realign. It just realigns things. And you're like, wow. Wow. See, that's, that's, what we, that's our heart here. It's been our heart for nine years. Honestly, it's to present the gospel accurately, faithfully, but most importantly, to present the gospel in such a way that God can really open your heart and mind to the truth of his grace and love. We want you to love Jesus. We don't want you to be, in a, be called the well of your church. It's not about us. It's not about us. If you love Jesus and find another church, God bless you. 
Just keep loving Jesus first and foremost in your life. That's really what we care about. Love Jesus passionately. Love him. Love him, love him, love him, love him. Not going to love him perfectly until you get to heaven, but love him as best as you can now. Just love him. Love him. If, it's that's here, if, 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 you, keep, if you keep coming to the well, our mantra here is love Jesus. <laughs> love Jesus. Love Jesus. Love, love, love. And that's manifested. What does he say? If you love me, you'll obey me. Okay. Let's not flip it. The first thing is love. We want you to love Jesus, whether it's through the music, whether it's through small groups, whether it's through the preaching of the word. Love, love, love Jesus. That's all we want. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think he means love Jesus. Go ahead. I think, I think they want us to love Jesus here. That's kind of what it is. Amen. That's just what it is. And here's the crazy thing. Then you'll hear Mark and you go, man, that's just, you know what that really was? I'm glad you didn't use testimony and we intentionally said that. It wasn't even just a story. It was a love story. If you're listening carefully, that was a love story with him and Jesus and his wife and his family. It's a love story. And everyone in here has a love story individually and if you have a family with a family. It's a love story. That's what he's here. God so loved the world. He didn't come here to, he wasn't sent to ruin your life. He's not the cosmic killjoy. Garrett, put that verse back up because I love how, look what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you would like an ounce of Jesus' joy? Like his joy, not your joy. Look what he says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, everyone say my joy. Okay, that's Jesus. He says my joy may be in you. I would have an ounce of his than a gallon of mine. I, right? He says, these things, which is about obedience and choosing to obey and abiding, these things I spoke to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be what? Full. Does that sound like someone who's out to ruin your life? I think not. He says, hey, these things about abiding through obedience, here's why, wink, wink, I want to give you my joy and I want your, your tank to be filled. That's kind of what we've been talking about for the first quarter. (laughs) Love Jesus, walk in obedience, because he wants to fill your joy tank. And here's the crazy thing, regardless of circumstances. Regardless of circumstances. He wants to fill your joy tank. Practical choice we need to make? Walk in obedience. The power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. For our brother Mark and Kathy, their willingness to share their story Uh, this morning. It's a love story. It's a love story about your grace, a love story about your faithfulness, a love story about your comfort and strength, a love story that reminds us that we're not alone, that gives us hope and encouragement. It's a love story. And then, Jesus, you say in John 15 that our obedience is out of love. It's a love issue. It's a love issue. And then the love issue isn't just us loving you. It's you first loving us. Crazy thing is, when we wanted nothing to do with you, when we didn't love you at all, when we were living for ourselves, when we were your enemies, dead in sin, you loved us. That's what the cross is about, love. And so maybe if we become jaded to that in all the churchiness, maybe this morning it's time to be overwhelmed by your love again. And in that reception of your love, you'll soften our hearts and give us the desire to love you. Just to love you. Jesus, you said, if we, if we love you, we'll obey. The obedience will follow the love. It's a fruit. So help us to love you. Help us this morning to receive your love. Maybe there's some here who have never received the love of Jesus. And if that's you, receive it. The best way you know, say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus 
for your grace. And so, Jesus, in the best way I know how this morning, I'm going to receive your love by putting my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. I don't really understand it all, but... Okay, Lord, thank you for loving me and dying for me. I'm putting my faith, I'm resting in your finished work at the cross for my salvation this morning. And then, Lord, for us who maybe are saved, maybe we've um, lost sight of that love, your love. And our Christianity has become about us and our comfort and what we get out of it. So forgive us for that, Jesus. And help us just to be a church that loves you. And a church that loves one another as you loved us. Because you say if we do that, all men will know that we are your disciples. Because it's all about love. Your love, Jesus.